All right, I think that's about it for our announcements here. And so I invite you to open up your Bibles or your Bible app. We're going to be taking a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through 18 today, as we talk about this next segment of our Heaven is Message series, and we talk about being full of hope. You know, it's interesting that, uh, as I mentioned before, our, our culture does not like to talk about death. In fact, uh, the cultural anthropologist Ernest Becker argued that the denial of death dominates our culture. Do you agree? But it's nothing new. In fact, um, 16th century pastor um, had this to say. He said, we undertake all things as if we were establishing immortality for ourselves on earth. If we see a dead body, we may philosophize briefly about the fleeting nature of life. But the moment we turn away from the sight, the thought of our own perpetuity remains fixed in our minds. Now, why is that? I'm convinced that death, to a certain extent, is an abstraction for most of us. That it really is just kind of a technical reality that we're like, oh yeah, everybody dies, right? But it's not until it becomes personal that it becomes something that, that truly impacts our thinking. Wouldn't you agree? That it is something that we, we just don't often want to think about culturally, and yet we need to understand that the reality of Jesus' resurrection changes everything. And that is especially true when it comes to how we handle the death of someone that we care about and that we love. And so the big question that we're going to be taking a look at today and having God's word answer for us is this. Will we actually see and know our loved ones in heaven? Now, to answer that, and this is, by the way, a big question. This is one that was, I, I would say, in our growth group this last weekend. This was the one that we spent a lot of time talking about. Will we actually see and know our loved ones in heaven? And to answer this, we're going to be digging into what the Apostle Paul wrote here in his first letter to the Thessalonians. And, and understand that the backdrop of this letter to the Thessalonians, and, and especially this set of verses in Thessalonians, was that the Apostle Paul had started this church about two years earlier, but he didn't get a chance to really spend a lot of time there because there was persecution that came his way. And so then he was kind of forced to leave before he was able to really spend a lot of time talking about what happens when people die and what happens on Judgment Day. And so the Thessalonian Christians kind of had this, this thinking that, you know what, if, if somebody dies before Jesus comes back, the big question on their mind was, will I ever see this person again? And, and for some of them, they were really bothered by that. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote what he did here in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4. He said, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And so let's just get to our first fill-in right away here. What we think about death determines how we feel when a loved one dies. Everyone grieves, but not everyone grieves the same. Now, what's interesting is that I, I did a little um, study on that word for grief that the Apostle Paul uses here. 
And in the original language, the Greek language in which this was written, that word, the very root meaning of that word means very big pain. And wouldn't you agree that death is one of the worst pains that we can experience when we have to say goodbye to someone that we love? It causes intense pain. In fact, uh, this past week, I had the chance to be able to call up one of our, our members here at Crosswalk who's whose wife, they had been married for many, many years, whose wife had died um, a little bit less than a year ago. And we talked about this, and we talked about the pain. It's, it's months later for him, and he is still missing her deeply and grieving her loss. And I've personally felt it as well. Whether it was my grandparents or my wife and I, we had to bury a baby, our, our baby Alex, um, whether it was burying my mother-in-law, Judy, or my dear friend, Wayne, or our school principal who died just two days before the end of school, dear friend of mine, Kyle. I'm just going to go on record and say, death sucks. Is it okay for me to say that? Death sucks. That's right. And if you are struggling with grief, with this big pain, I'm going to tell you that we have a grief share ministry here at Crosswalk. Uh, they are, I think, on hiatus now until January. Is that right, Carrie? Yeah, okay. But it is a great group of people who are there to, to love and support and encourage one another as we grieve. And here's the thing. We all grieve differently. Some people don't mind grieving in front of people. Some people don't mind crying in front of people. Other people do. Other people want to be just left alone. So other people love to be able to have their loved ones, their family, and their friends there to support and encourage them. And others just want to be left alone. And sometimes that can happen all in the same day. Just kind of depends on where you're at. And the thing is, is that it's okay to not be okay. The shortest verse in the Bible, anybody know what it says? John chapter 11, at the graveside of, of his friend Lazarus, the shortest verse in the Bible says, Jesus wept. You see, Jesus understands the big pain that we feel when we lose someone that we care about. It's okay to grieve, but it's not okay to doubt. It's not okay to doubt in Jesus' power over death. You see, that's where the first part of this fill-in, what we think about death determines how we feel when a loved one dies. If we think that death is the end, that death is the final goodbye, that death is, that means separation, that I'm never going to see my loved one again, that's what Paul was saying of people who grieve like there is no hope. That's what it means, that they are completely hopeless, that they will ever see their loved one again. But Jesus changes that thinking, doesn't he? Uh, we often talk about our thoughts being our self-talk, and we have that self-talk cycle. Uh, if you have your growth group questions in front of you, then you'll see that there's that cycle that's printed out for you, that an event happens, and in this case, it's the loss of a, a loved one. Then the self-talk, the thoughts that we have, that's who we listen to the most, by the way, right, is our, our thoughts. And what, what do our thoughts tell us when we lose a loved one? We're hurting, we're in pain, we're missing them. We wonder why. There's just all of these different things that are going through. And that, of course, can impact how we feel. 
And sometimes that sadness, that sorrow is just completely overwhelming if we don't let Jesus speak his talk into our self-talk. If we don't let Jesus say, you know what? I am here and I understand what it feels like. Remember, I wept at the graveside of my friend. But I'm here to tell you, death is not the final goodbye. I'm here to tell you that for those who die in faith in me, you will see them again. And that's why it's just so interesting that you take a look at, at how Jesus approached when people were, were dying in his culture. And in fact, uh, one of the examples that I want to draw your attention to is in Mark chapter 5, uh, verses 38 and 39. This is where Jesus was approached by a well-known synagogue leader named Jairus. And Jairus' 12-year-old daughter was sick, and while Jesus was on his way, the daughter died. And so he gets to this home of this synagogue leader, and this is what occurred. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Now, what did he mean by that? Because as it says in the rest of the verses there, the people laughed at him because they knew that this child was dead. So what does it mean that when Jesus says this child is not dead, but asleep? What he's saying is that death for followers in him, death for believers in him, is not a final goodbye. It's like a sleep. When you go to sleep, and then you wake up, and then you see your loved ones again. That's the point. Jesus changes everything. And the, part of the reason why there was this commotion and wailing, they actually paid people in those days, especially if you were well-known. They pay, paid people in those days to make a big commotion and do a lot of crying. And I will tell you that part of it was there was this uncertainty in their culture, especially if they followed the religion of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who basically said, hey, there's all this list of rules that you need to follow and you need to keep them perfectly or else you're not going to get into heaven. You're not going to be in the right relationship with God. And of course, who can, who can deliver on that? Nobody can. Because our good isn't good enough. And as the Apostle Paul was writing here then to these Thessalonian Christians, they were having the same question mark in their mind, just like these people of Jairus' daughter. They were having the same question mark in their mind. Am I going to see my loved one again? And so what did Paul write? He said in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14, he said, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now again, part of the reason why Paul was, was making this point about Jesus' death and resurrection is because in the Greek culture, there was uncertainty about whether or not they were going to see their loved ones again, but for a very different reason. In the Greek culture, they did not believe that there would be a resurrection of the body. And so for them, part of it was that they're like, well, I'm not going to see my loved one again because there is no bodily resurrection. That's what their thought, that thought was. And so Paul here was saying, no, no, no. See, just as Jesus died and rose again, so also those who have died in faith in him, we will see them again. 
And now here's the thing. Let's, let's get to our, our big question then. So will we actually see and know our loved ones in heaven? Here's our, our next fill-in. The answer is yes, because Jesus is the sin forgiver and the death conqueror in whom we trust. So Jesus is the sin forgiver and the death conqueror in whom we trust. And I love that, that Paul in verse 14 there emphasizes that Jesus died and rose again. You see, death means separation. So when a person physically dies, there's the separation of body and soul that takes place. Body goes into the ground, soul goes to God and is judged at that moment. And what Paul is emphasizing here is that, hey, just so you know, faith in Jesus is really important. There is nothing more important than our relationship with Jesus. Faith in Jesus is where it's at. Believe in him, and then you can be guaranteed that you're going to see your loved ones again by faith in him. It's all about trusting in the one who is the sin forgiver, who paid the price for our forgiveness, for all the times I've doubted, for all the times I've complained, for all the times I've murmured, like we talked about in um, Heaven is My Home, that hymn that I shared before, for all the times that I've lived like, now is it, this is it, I'm forgiven and so are you, because Jesus died. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. That's the reason why Jesus had to die. He had to take the penalty that we earned for our sins. And he paid the price in full, and we know that because he rose again from the dead. And because he rose again from the dead, he promises, and, and this is our next uh, Bible verse here in John 14, verse 19, because I live, you also will live. You'll live. Death is not the end. Not only that, but I'm convinced that that's the reason why the Apostle Paul makes the statement that he does uh, when he said in verse 15, he said, according to the Lord's word. Well, what was the word that he had in mind? Maybe it was John 11 when Jesus said to Mary and Martha at the graveside of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Maybe it was that word. Maybe it was the word that Jesus said here in John 14, because I live, you also will live. But he says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So Paul is basically saying, don't take my word for it. Take the Lord's word. He's the one that you can fully rely on. He's the one who tells us how it is. And, and notice he's saying that there's not going to be any preceding others. And the reason for that is because on Judgment Day, we're all going to appear before Jesus. In fact, uh, those were the verses that we heard last week in Matthew 25, verses 31 and 32. He said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So in other words, no one's going to miss it. It's not going to be like, hey, I wonder if Judgment Day happened yet or not. No, everybody's going to know. Just saying. And now what is that day going to be like? Well, it's interesting that uh, by inspiration of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul actually gives us a little glimpse of what that day is going to be like in verses 16 and 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, can you imagine what that's going to be like? Two words come to mind. Reverse skydiving. Okay, that's three words. All right. But reverse skydiving, that's what that day is going to be like. For us as followers of Jesus, instead of like, you know, getting that rush of jumping out of a plane and plummeting towards the earth, for us as believers in Jesus, what, what he's talking about here, God's going to reverse the effects of gravity for us. Reverse skydiving, baby. I'm excited about that. You know what's kind of funny is that my, my youngest son, Aiden, he's not here right now. He's singing at another church right now. But So he, he saw my notes, and he picked up on that. It'll leave it to a 12-year-old to pick up on reverse skydiving. Cool, Dad. Like, it just, you know. But anyway, here's the thing. Notice what he talks about here, that we will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Well, who is the them? Our loved ones, family and friends who have died in faith in Jesus. Now that Greek word caught up together, by the way, is where we get our English word rapture from. And there's a whole branch of Christianity that believes that the rapture is gonna take place before judgment day. So in other words, you can be driving along and all of a sudden, the person next to you who's a believer, they're gone. They're just going to vanish. Like, there's, you know, there's this rapture taking place. And what, what Paul tells us here is that it's actually not going to happen before Judgment Day. It's going to happen on Judgment Day. It's part of what's going to take place on that day itself. But again, the important part is that we're going to be caught up together with them, with our loved ones in the air. And so here's our next uh, fill-in with this big question of will we actually see and know our loved ones in heaven? The answer is Yes. Because Jesus keeps his word and therefore is our source of hope for a joyful family reunion that will never end. You know, I just, I stop and think about that. If you've ever been to a family reunion, and so I, I married into a family that's a really big family. And uh, I don't know, what was it, the last Christmas when we were all together, it was like over 80 people. And so it, it, the family reunion is just this joyful, fun thing that you get a chance to get, you know, catch up with each other and so on. And can you imagine heaven, that it's going to be a joyful family reunion that will never end? There's not going to be any of those awkward moments like, uh, you know, when somebody says something that just makes a few of the family members feel bad or, you know, that uncle who's always just, you know, picking on you or whatever. And there's not going to be any of that. It's going to be joyful. It's going to be perfect. And we know that to be true because Jesus says so. Because Jesus is the one who is that source of hope. And what I love about the word hope, and this is why we say heaven is full of hope. What I love about that word hope is the fact that it, it really, the, the Greek word literally means to have a expectation that is a certain expectation of an outcome that's positive. 
So it is a certain expectation of an outcome that is positive. And now think about that. Because of what Jesus did, because he is our source of hope, we have this certain expectation of a joyful family reunion in heaven where we will see our loved ones for all eternity. And that's why Paul then concludes this section in verse 18 with these words. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. You know, I've been to a lot of funerals. Uh, in fact, the first church I was at, I've been in the ministry for 20 years. The first church that I was at, it was about 20 to 25 funerals a year that we had. Been to a lot of them. And all of us need encouragement. When we're standing by the casket or by the urn that holds the body of our loved one. This past week when I had the chance to pray with uh, one of our brothers here at, at Crosswalk and who's missing his wife, that gave him encouragement. A couple of weeks ago, maybe some of you heard this story that we have a good friend of ours who uh, woke up seizuring in bed and discovered that he had a quarter-sized tumor in his brain. Just had surgery about a week and a half ago, and now this past Wednesday was told that it is cancerous. He needs encouragement. He's younger than me. He needs encouragement. His wife and his three young children need encouragement. We all need encouragement. And, and the, the encouragement comes from knowing that we have a God who loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to this world to save us. The encouragement comes from knowing that we have a God who put flesh on, stepped into our world, stepped into our sin, into our mess, and rescued us. The encouragement comes from knowing that Jesus overcame for us. And that's why Jesus, in his words in John 16, verse 33, this is encouragement. When he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Notice, Jesus doesn't sugarcoat the troubles we experience because he experienced them too. But he went on to say, but take heart. In other words, have encouragement. And why? I have overcome the world. What he means by that statement is this. Jesus has overcome sin. Jesus has overcome evil. Jesus has overcome death. You see, with Jesus, life wins. And that's all ours by faith in him. And that's the thing. That's the reason why we can close out with this final, final fill-in. This is my favorite Sorry, I'm just going to take a moment. Because of Jesus, death is not a final goodbye. It's a see you later. And the reason why I'm getting emotional about this is this, these, this is the phrase that I've used at every single funeral that I have ever given a message at. So I'm thinking about all those amazing people that I'm going to get to see again in heaven, all because of Jesus. And here's the thing. Think about some of the conversations we're going to get to have as we talk to Moses 
and Peter and Paul and Martin Luther and all these amazing people as we recount the impact that Jesus had on them and on us. That's why heaven is going to be full of hope, full of everything that Jesus has done for us. Thank you, Jesus is right. All praise to him. Heaven is our home. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe of your amazing grace that you were so willing to leave the perfections of heaven and come and step into our mess, into our death, so that you could take what we deserve and that you could make things right with our Father in heaven. Thank you for the forgiveness that you have earned for us and the life that you have given to us and the loved ones that you have given to us that we will see again because you have made it that death is not a final goodbye. It's a see you later by faith in you. And so comfort us, Lord. Give us words of encouragement to those around us who are also struggling with sin and death. And help us to be a light that shines your light of life to those in darkness. And we ask all of these things, Lord, in your saving name. Amen.